0: have that issue? Oh, yeah. uh, where, where's, Kyle Munger? where's Kyle Munger? I bet you had to toe the line or your mom and dad probably smacked you, um, right? You were in, they were in that? Yes, there's some of us in that club. Um, so I didn't grow up in the palace of Egypt, but you know, uh, I felt a lot like Moses in the fact of he felt so insufficient. And you know what the story, he eventually gives it up to God and he says, okay, I recognize I'm really identified with God's people, Israel. And he sees an Egyptian guard beating an Israelite. And and Moses does what he feels is right. He sees a wrong being done and he intervenes. And after all, he's a prince of Egypt, you know. And uh, he hits that and he kills the Egyptians. And ultimately, what does he get from that? He gets run out of town, run out of the country by both the Egyptians and his brethren. He was a loser on both ends of it. He ends up on the backside of the desert and stays there for 40 years until God calls to him out of a burning bush and God tells Moses that he wants him to lead his people out of Egypt. I'm sure Moses probably was thinking, you know, I tried that. <laughs> I already tried that, Lord, and it didn't work out very good. And that's where I want us to pick up our text this morning in the story of Moses is in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 10. All right, Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 10. And... Uh, Let's read and see what what happens here in in this story where uh, the Bible says, uh, "'Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt.' And Moses said unto God, "'Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt?' And he said, Certainly I'll be with thee, and this shall be the token unto thee that I have sent thee, that thou, shalt, thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. He shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, you shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you, and this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So God tells Moses, I want you to go take, lead my people out of Egypt. Then Moses immediately begins to, to question that call and gives God excuses. He says, well, who am I? He says, no one's going to believe me, and they're going to listen and follow me. They've already turned on me once. And Moses begins over chapter 3 and chapter 4 to tell God of his limitations. Remember, in chapter number 4 of Exodus, Moses says unto the Lord, I am not eloquent, and, you know, I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue. He says, "I, I can't do it. And I certainly can identify, and I imagine most of you this morning can as well, Over the past 17 years, there have been many, many times where I felt I'm not the right leader for this local body. I've told God of my areas of weakness. Oftentimes, I've gotten help in identifying those areas of weakness, which, you know, doesn't mean it's wrong, but... I've told him so many times how I'm not the, top, the right type of leader or I've told him how I've tried and I've failed and, or I tell him if I just had better administrative skills or if I had better financial skills or if I had a newer building or even if I was maybe a little bit better looking with a little more hair maybe I, you know, God give me something you know I'm really gifted at telling the Lord why I'm not the right person to do what he wants me to do you feel that way ever? You know what God wants you to do, and you, you and I, we tell him, we, God, I don't have this, and why don't you give me this and do this? And so as I read the entirety of the book of Exodus, with this thought ringing in my mind from chapter 3, uh, that's where I had, God said, yeah, going me write a book of, or a series of messages from this book. And the first one this morning that I decided to title this morning, specific measure, message on how to get out of Egypt, is what I need most. Because ultimately it came down, God cleared the field a little bit and re-told me, re-presented to me the fundamental truth of what, can do you really need most? I didn't really see it until I got to near the end of the, the book of Exodus into chapter 33 and we'll look there in a minute. But it was right there in chapter number 3 as well. That's why I saw the parallel as I just read to you in verse 11 and 12 where uh, Moses says, who am I that I should go and you know, I, who am I to bring the people out of Egypt? Now notice what God says in verse 12. He, he, he just simply gives him one statement and God says, certainly I Will be with thee what I need most to lead Open Door Baptist Church is God's presence in my life powerfully what you need most to do whatever it is that God's called you to do you might be a stay at home mom say I am losing my mind I don't you need God's presence in your life it's what you need I know that's not what, what, what I would have said, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I probably made other excuses, but basically God says, they're going to follow you out of Egypt because you have my presence in your life. So the, my conclusion was, if you want to be used powerfully of God, if you want to have a, a deep and intimate marriage, if, if you want your kids to grow up and respect you, if, if you, you want to see God work in your life, if you want to be able to answer God's call, we must Have God's presence in our lives. You know, churches today in America in particular have mainly become mostly corporate. They're corporate and they're they're marketing organizations. And if you hang around here at all, even the way we financially run our church, I'd make no bones about it. We are not a corporation. We're not going to do a profit and loss statement every month. We're going to invest in God's kingdom. We're going to do what God calls us to do. We're going to live by faith. And that only is possible as we have an active presence of God in our life. I understand, and, and I hope you do too, that God, as he created us, he, he desires a relationship with us. I, I, it blows my mind why an almighty God would, would want fellowship with, with us when as his children, with his creation, we rebelled against him. We, we rejected his ways, and yet he loved us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We, 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 we were hopelessly separated from god but i'm so thankful for the wonderful verses in ephesians chapter number two but god we were separated from god with with no intimate relationship separated by sin but god who is rich in mercy for his great love worth he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together by with christ by grace are you saved for later on in verse 8 he'd go on and say for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast then in verse 10 he goes we were created unto good works and and that we're called unto those good works as believers and those things are only going to happen powerfully in our lives as God has a, a a tangible powerful presence in our lives and if you're a christian this morning we're called to discipleship to be a living sacrifice, as Jesus said to his disciples, and by the way, the verse I'm going to quote here, Jesus directs to disciples, unfortunately, many people today use the verse I'm about to quote to you as a prerequisite to be saved, and I'm glad it's not, because I would be totally unable, unable to, to fulfill this demand. But as his children... This is the command he gives, and being indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, we have the power to do as, as a believer in Jesus Christ. But Matthew sixteen twenty four says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's how you have God's presence in your life. You walk by faith and not by sight. We need a living relationship with God. Now, I was reading a, one of the books that I read, which I've already given one quote by this guy, Lance Witt. I don't know him. Reading his book, probably he and I would have some differences in some areas, but it, it, was, a, it was a good read. The name of the book was Replenish. Um, and if some of you are watching today, some of my, I know some of my friends that are in full-time ministry, and even if you're not, because um, really when Jen and I go away in January, that's the theme. Of all the things we do, our goal is to replenish. to to reconnect more intimately with each other and in our walk with God and to have physical, spiritual, and emotional restoration and replenishment. Now, the guy who wrote this book pastored for like 40 years. He he, He did it for a long time. And he tells in the book a story of another pastor that he met that was even more senior in the ministry than he was. And they were talking about the pressures and the demands of, of ministry and the expectations. And the older pastor told the younger pastor this. And I thought it was a, a, a brilliant and a powerful insight. He said, quote, The older I get, the less concern I have with what I have or have not done. And the more concern I have for what I have or have not become. Hmm. You know, sometimes Christians, we are in this, this, you know, if we just do enough, God's going to be happy with us. And we, we feel this need we got to do just to earn his happiness. No, sometimes we just have to be. And as you walk the road of life, if you're walking with God in the presence of your life, he's going to transform your life in your walk with him. You, there's a lot of people, and especially in some rules-oriented type uh, of faith, that, that they, they do all kinds of stuff, but they, they've, they've been serving the Lord for years. But they still can't get over whether the church has pews or chairs. They still can't get over if somebody says a little untoward word. They still can't get over some, some expectation or something that God called them to do. And, you know, they, they're so easily swayed. It's because the, the, their, their approach to God is if I just do enough for God to be happy with me as opposed to walking with God and letting God flow out of us and serving where he calls us to serve and as we serve these things the goal in those services yes to serve him yes to make a difference in other people's lives but that's how we get to know God better I don't want to be the pastor that and I'm old enough now to know many who quit along the way because they got done wrong. They got gossiped about, whatever. I want to finish serving the Lord even when he calls me out of serving in a full-time capacity. That doesn't mean God's never called you. If you're breathing, he's got something for you to do. I don't want to be that old person that's bitter and angry at God about my the way I, you know, the life that I lived. I want to be a guy that lives to be whatever God allows me to live, 80, 90, 100 years old, whatever he allows. To say, were there trials and battles? Yeah. But am I consumed with bitterness? No. I'm consumed with gratitude and joy that God has allowed and continues to allow me to serve him. See, what I need most is God's presence in my life. It's interesting that in Exodus 3, the offer of God's presence doesn't seem to mean much to Moses. (laughs) When God tells him that, if you read in chapter 3, Moses, he don't stop and say much about that. But by the time you get to Exodus 33, which is... He's led them out of Egypt down over the Dead Sea, and they've had the water issues and stuff, and they finally get to Mount Sinai. That's kind of the storyline. And by Exodus 33, Moses has gone up to the mount to get the law of God and the Ten Commandments and all that. And while he's gone, you know the story that while he's up there for 40 days, the people get what the baby Christians do, and they didn't see enough tangible evidence of God. So they go to Aaron and say, we don't know what happened to Moses. So Aaron, make us, make us a, a God that took us out of Egypt. And, and they make the gold and calf, you know, back to Egypt and their religion and all this kind of stuff and, and uh, God tells Moses that what's happening and he's not pleased and God wants to wipe out all the children of Israel and start over with Moses, remember that? But Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and God relents of his righteous anger. Moses gets a little angry himself but at the end of it in chapter number 33 God tells Moses and I don't know if I'd ever remembered this God tells Moses, okay, I'm going to relent. I'm not going to wipe them all out. That'll be good. You go down there. And the people can go up to the promised land, but God says in Exodus 33, but I'm not going to go with them. I don't remember that part of the story. God says, yeah, okay, I'm not going to kill them. You, you know, and you can lead them and you can take them to the promised land, but I'm not going. Now, I understand if theologically God is everywhere, so it's not like he couldn't be there, but he's talking about his tangible, his presence. Now in Exodus 33, notice what God says. Matter of fact, I don't think I I gave this to you. Did I, Ali? Did I give you Exodus 33? I don't think I did. Um, You're going to have to turn there with me if you want to read it, but otherwise I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 33 and uh, verse number 15. I want you to see what Moses, when God tells him that, and says, okay, you can go, but I'm not going with you. In Exodus 33, verse number 15, Moses said unto God, Moses said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. is is that not an amazing thing? Moses has figured out he can do with a slow tongue. He he doesn't have to be eloquent. He doesn't have to have all the answers. He doesn't have to be good looking. He doesn't have to have all the modern tools. What Moses needed was the presence of God in his life. And in in this time of leadership, Moses had figured out after getting close with God, (laughs) if you not coming, ain't worth going. He says the whole key And I thought it was fascinating that he said, if we go there without you, how different are we than anybody else? What makes the Christian different from anybody else is the presence of God in our lives. And the problem with American Christians, and when you get a carnal Christian, I've been a carnal Christian and I have my battles with carnality. Please don't, you know, every, every one of us struggles, but you know, there are a lot of people across Prattville this morning that if you would knock to the door, they're, oh, they're a Christian, but boy, they're not very committed to serving the Lord. Oh, I, I can do it right from my, I can do it from my tree stand in the in the woods. I can do it from my back porch. You know, you don't need, you don't need a church. Well, I don't know. That's not what the New Testament says, but you can take it up with God. All I know is I look around America too much of the church doesn't look any different from the world. Don't look different in the way we look. Don't look different in the way we talk. Don't look different in all the things we do. Instead, the, the modern church in America today just wants to Christianize everything. And it's one of these old timer guys that refuses to budge without being legalistic because there are some methods that should change, by the way. Don't overquote me here. But my philosophy and principle is I'm not out here to say, well, let's change that because we'll get more people to come. Not if it's contrary to a principle of God's word, no. No. And what makes people look at a Christian and say, there's something different about you is when an unbeliever recognizes the presence of God in our lives. Even a Christian who's away from God will say, and I've had them say to me, well, how come God doesn't do it? Well, you know, how come God seems so real and he's alive in your life and he's not mine? First I tell him, hey, I have desert experience like everybody else. Sometimes God chooses to put me out there in desert, doesn't talk to me in a powerful way for months at a time. But the just shall live by faith. If you don't have the presence of God, Moses says, I got nothing. And it's still the truth today. You know, the presence of God. Boy, there's so many wonderful verses that would encourage all of us. Joshua 1.9. Remember where God says to Joshua, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and to a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Even in the New Testament, remember, Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to serve all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the earth. In the New Testament, again, Paul, in Acts chapter 18, where Paul was in a spot, and God says to Paul, um, in a vision by night, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. How about Psalm 23? We know mostly, we quote that whole psalm, wonderful psalm, yea, though I walk in the valley of shadow death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And how do you know that? Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. You see, getting out of Egypt requires the presence of God first in our eternal salvation that moment of faith when we're sealed as Ephesians 1 says by the Holy Spirit and we're baptized into Christ and yes though I guess apparently we've made well I was gone Pastor Danny made some people angry so let me double down on making people angry Um, you know those who want to troll whatever what that means is when you're baptized into Christ you're in his hand as Jesus taught in John chapter number 10 no man even yourself can't take yourself out of the hand of God aren't you glad that when God gives us eternal life that eternal life really means eternal life. And that I don't have to say I think I'm 90% on my way to heaven or 95% sure I'm on my way to heaven, but I have 100% assurance I'm on my way to heaven. And if some Christians out there don't like it, well, get over it. Because I'm happy to know that I'm on my way to heaven. Not because of anything I've done, but because God made a promise to me. And I received that promise by simple faith, saying, Yeah, Lord, I recognize you died for my sin, you rose again, paid my price, and if I just trust you for that gift of eternal life, you'll give it to me. Now I'm in his hand. I'm baptized into him. And as you've heard me say once, you'll hear me say it again I ain't going to hell unless Jesus is going to hell, because I'm in him. But not only once we get saved, but when we as believers, we also need his presence in our lives to produce fruit. Jesus said, taught about it in the Gospel of John, in the famous I am the vine teaching, there, his last major teaching before his crucifixion. We got to abide, we just got to rest in him. And while I was gone, the one thing that God really convicted me personally of is that all I really need all I need is his presence in my life. That's it. Ken have me in the center of your life follow where I lead you and it's going to be fine. I don't have all the answers. I don't need all the answers. I don't want to solve all the problems. <laughs> I don't. But what I need is him. Isn't it amazing how humanity is so proudful in our rejection of Him, that we don't need God, or the depravity of man in our rejection of His holiness. When we were on our cruise, and I'm going to end this morning with a story that probably some of you will be talking about this one for a while, but things happen when we're on the cruise ship. We were on our cruise and Really what Jenny and I did is we did two cruises back-to-back So we did one cruise that left Fort Lauderdale went all the way down to the ABC Islands came back to Fort Lauderdale and we left again went all the way down to Columbia and then came all the way back and When we came back that first time to Fort Lauderdale, you're required by immigration to basically the ship has to account for every passenger So when you get off, you have to go through immigration, which is also really spooky because they got these little iPads set up and they tell you to stand on a spot and it scans your face. And and I'm talking in insta-second. It brings up your name and who you are and says, oh, he's back in the country now. Scary stuff. But at any rate... If you're going back to back, the cruise lines treat you with a little, they give you preferential treatment. Instead of having to get off the ship and go down into the melee that is the transfer, the new people coming on and the old people getting off, they put you in a special group and get you through immigration, like in a private ceremony, (laughs) if you will. And uh, on our ship, there was about, I, don't know, I think two or three hundred of us that were staying on from one cruise to the next. So they had us all meet in the, um, in the theater room that I showed a picture of earlier. And we were all sitting there, and they had a very orderly process. It's really well done. And, and you get on there, and you wait till they account for everybody on the ship. And then they take you to immigration, and then they bring you back on the ship. It's, pre- it's pretty cool. It's, a, it's pretty neat. But they have to wait until immigration's ready to receive you, uh, you know, on the, on the ground, you know, on the other, on the terminal over there. And uh, we got everybody seated, and apparently they knew they pretty much had everybody that was doing back-to-back. They'd accounted for all of us. So now we're all just sitting in this room, but we're waiting on immigration to call them and say, all right, send that group over. He goes, I don't know how long it'll take. Could be 20 minutes, could be 40 minutes, you know, beyond our control. And so the guy that led it, his name is Jeff. Matter of fact, we'd met him a couple years earlier. And and when I came in, I saw him right away. And I said, Jeff. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, you guys, because he did such a great job in in this leading this whole transition thing. And uh, so he stands up there and puts his mic on and he's talking to everybody, telling us what's going on. And he says, does anybody got any questions since we got this time to do nothing? And somebody in the crowd, I don't know who it was, says, Hey, can you tell us some of the craziest things that have ever happened when you've done led these transition things? And he goes, Oh, sure. I, I, let me tell you my two favorite. So I told Jenny, Get out your paper. This is going to be rich. Because um, this guy had worked for the cruise lines for a long time, this is the seasoned crew guy. He tells the story about a bunch of the people getting down that are supposed to get off the ship to go back to back. And uh, instead of holding them in the theater, they held them, they took them off the ship and put them down in the, in the terminal, uh, the, the cruise terminal, and made everybody wait there until they had accounted for all of them. Well, they were sitting there, and he said time was going by, and it was 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And some of the experienced cruisers were going, wait a minute, this is taking way too long. What's the problem? Well, come to find out, there was one Yahoo that decided instead of getting off the ship and coming down to report like you're supposed to do just so they can ante everybody up— he found a deep, dark corner somewhere in the cruise ship and decided he'd take a nap and read a book. And they couldn't find him. And until they found every single person, he goes, we can't move you all till we get everybody. They, we, every, the, the people coming on were being held up. Everybody was being held up because of one guy. Isn't that amazing, the selfishness of people? So Jeff says, so finally we, they find this guy. And he said, you know, in the cruise terminal, when you come off the ship, it's usually on the second floor and the waiting room's down on the first floor. So there was an escalator, something that looked something like this, except there were a bunch of chairs at the bottom. All these two, three hundred people have been waiting for over an hour, hour and a half for this guy. And everybody knew what was going on. If you're an experienced cruiser, which most of these people are, we all understood the game. And he said, so this guy comes with one of the crew members and makes the appearance, and as he's coming down the escalator, everybody that's down there begins to boo him. <laughs> which I think if it had been me, I'd say, you know, I own that. You know, that's, that, that's on me. But the depravity of man in our culture today works a little differently the ungodly mindset so this guy about halfway to two thirds of the way down as people are continuing to boo him <laughs> he decides the best way that he can respond is to drop his pants the whole, the whole room now is dying laughing in the cruise line a bunch of old people were all going "Whoa, that's funny you know uh, and this guy's thinking he's being Mr. Whatever, dropping his drawers. And Jeff told me, he goes, and this guy, you know, he didn't just, he goes, he didn't just flash everybody. He just dropped them. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And everybody, so Jenny and I, Jenny's typing away. I'm going, get this down, get this down. This is good. He said, but what the guy didn't understand, or maybe he was just as stupid as he is, because when he got to the bottom of the escalator, he still had his pants at his ankles, and his pants got caught in the escalator and pulled that guy off his feet, onto his butt, pulled his pants and everything else off, and there he stood in his Christmas suit. And you know what made the story that much better? Was if you don't know this, let me fill you in on some Virgo cruising. When you are in the terminal. You are under the port authority. You are in a federal jurisdiction area. And when this idiot's coming down the thing and does what he does, what also he doesn't realize is standing amongst the people, because we were all waiting, was an immigration officer. And when his little naked body got to the bottom there, his hands went into cuffs. And after they got him freed from the escalator, well, they got, he was free. His pants were under there. <laughs> they led this guy off to jail. And as they were leading him away, all the booze went to, yay! <laughs> you see, many times without the presence of God in our lives, we play the part of the fool. And I'm so thankful that God, in spite of my failings and that, loved me enough to die for me and then to give me his presence in his life. That I don't have to go through life living the fool. Walk with God, do right, and what we need most is his presence. Lord, thank you so much for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the testimony of Moses. As a faithful servant, your friend, Uh, Thank you for the reminder this morning, and I don't know this morning what valleys or things that folks are walking through this morning, maybe things you've called them to do where they feel very inadequate. Lord, I pray this morning your word's been an encouragement that what they need most, more than anything else, is your presence in their life. Lord, I pray if there's one here listening online or here in person that doesn't know they're on their way to heaven, doesn't have your presence in their life, they've not been baptized into you, they've not been sealed by the Holy Spirit, my dear friend, the Bible's very, very clear. It just says in Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you trust Christ for your eternal destiny today? But how about it, dear Christian? Are you making all kinds of excuses? Telling God why you can't serve Him, why it's too hard, whatever. The, and God says this morning, No, what you need is my presence in your life. Are you spending time with God? Is it a priority to you at all? Are you being still and knowing that He is God? Holy Spirit of God, seal decisions. Help us as a church to continue to move forward serving you by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us this morning? We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And as we sing, if you want to come to.